Well, good morning and welcome to The Jar. If you're uh, visiting with us today, my name is Chris and just want to say thank you so much for uh, taking time to uh, hang out with us. Now, as as, um, Emily alluded to, uh, next week is Be the Church Sunday. And what we're going to do is we're going to meet right here at 1030, just like normal. For some of you, more like 1040, but we know who you are. And, um, but we'll meet here, and then we will uh, worship, just like we normally do through song. And then we're going to blanket our community with God's love and kindness. And the way we're going to do that is by going to the Gus Macker Tournament, uh, and we are going to uh, pass out a thousand, or more, maybe, of these. These are popsicles. If you've ever uh, played basketball before in the Gus Macker, you need a lot of these, okay? So we're going to do that, and then we're going to give them a towel that will actually have a logo that looks just like that, and each person uh, will get one of those. Now, I know some of you right now are like, well, I'm checking tomorrow or next Sunday off. Won't be here for that. And uh, I just want to encourage you, don't do that. Don't check out next Sunday. Check in next Sunday. Because God's going to do something really, really cool as we go out and we show His love. Because next week, there's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be able to let the community know that the jar is not simply a place that you go to church, but it's a place where we go out and we are the church to other people. Now, some of you I know still aren't convinced. You're like, ah, Bunch, you don't know me. I don't really like to talk to people. I don't even talk to my family, and especially to a stranger. I'm not into that. And this sounds kind of difficult to me. And uh, just so that all of you know it's not going to be difficult or painful, um, we've decided that we wanted to show you something that even a two-year-old can do what we're going to ask you to do next week. So take a look at the screen. Look at Daddy. You know what? Next week we are going to go be the church and we're going to pass out popsicles to people. Do you like a popsicle? Yeah. You do? Can you repeat after me? Would you like to have a popsicle? Can you say popsicle? (laughs) Now you can say popsicle or you can say poppysicle. I don't care. But actually, don't say poppysicle, you know, or if you do, tell me you go to a different church, right? But we want you to say popsicle. You know, that's all you got to do. And a two-year-old can do it. All you have to do is say, would you like a popsicle? Now, if a person says yes, what do you think you do? You give it to them. Now, what if they say no? No, you don't give it to them. Don't freak them out. They say no, fine. Go on to the next person. There'll be enough people that will want one, I guarantee. Now, some people are going to come and they're going to ask you, well, um... You know, why are you doing this? You know, what are you doing this for? And we'll have a little card for each one of you so you'll know exactly what to say. And if you're not sure, you'll just look at your card. 
But again, even a two-year-old can say the basic kind of thing. Let's take a look at this. Ask you why we're doing the outreach. We got to be able to respond to them. Okay. So can you put your hands down and can you uh, repeat after me? We are showing God's love. No strings attached. Good job, Jordan. Very good. (laughs) That's my daughter, Jordan. If you're visiting, you're like, why is that kid on there? It was the only two-year-old that I knew that I could control. So, And I don't do that well. But that's all you have to do to show God's love in a practical way. And that's what we're going to do next week. And this is the best part, folks. You will be done at 11.30. And you don't have to listen to me. Okay? But this week you do have to listen to me. So uh, before we get started, let's pause and pray. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for every single person who is here this morning. Thank you also for all of our children who are in our children's ministry. And thank you for your church called The Jar. Thank you for giving us an opportunity next week, not just to go to church, but to be the church to our community as we shower them with with your love and your kindness. So Jesus, right now we ask that you would be present in this place and we believe you are because the Bible tells us when two or three people are gathered that you're present. And so by your Spirit, would we hear your voice and then would you give us the courage to do what uh, you ask us to do. Come Holy Spirit, uh, speak to us I pray. Amen. Does the day August 12th The year 2000 mean anything to anybody here? I didn't think so. But you know, for 118 Russian sailors, that was a day that changed their life. Because that's the day that they lost their life on the submarine called the Kursk. On that day, these sailors got in their submarine and they were going out to sea to exercise a practice firing of dummy torpedoes. And as they prepared to get ready to do this, there was an explosion in the submarine. And everyone died immediately except 23 young men who were in a separate chamber. And they only lasted a few more hours. But in those few hours, there was a 27-year-old lieutenant named Dmitry Kolisnikov. And he wrote to his wife a letter. Two words of that letter were displayed at his coffin, on his coffin, at his funeral. And the two words were these. Mustn't despair. Mustn't despair. It's not real clear who he wrote those words to. Maybe he was writing them to himself. That there would be hope that someone would actually come and rescue him. Maybe he uh, wrote those to someone else. Hoping that they might find him. And if for some reason he went unconscious, they could 
see the note and, and come to him. Maybe he was writing to his wife and he wanted her to know that there would be hope for her not to despair. But for a 27-year-old sailor whose life was suddenly and unexpectedly ended at the bottom of the ocean, when it came down to it, his last two words of his life were, mustn't despair. You know, there are very few human beings that ever get to the point in life in which they know when they're actually going to die. Very few people experience when that moment will come. And almost instinctively, psychologists tell us that when people know their moment of death is coming, that they want to write a message. They want to tell their story to somebody else. In the final moment of life, when you get to that point, all the masks go away. Everything is stripped away and you are down to the heart of who and what you are. All the stupid toys that we spend our whole life trying to chase, like success and reputation and security and wealth and comfort and ease, all of those things mean absolutely nothing in that moment. And a person is really left with what they really believe, what they built their life on. Friends, if that moment were to come to you, and one day it will come to every single one of us, I mean, you can pretend that it won't come, you can ignore it, you can hope that it doesn't come, but every single one of us, that day will come. And I just wonder, if that moment came for you right now, what would you write? What would be your last couple of words? What would be your story. This morning, we're going to continue on in our series on the book of Daniel as we look at pursuing spiritual excellence. And we're going to look at chapter 3. And last week, just to get us all caught up, there's a guy named Daniel who had three friends, three best friends, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just in case some of you are pregnant, you want a name for your child, we try to help, okay? And these three guys had ascended to the highest level in their political political world. They were at the top of the Babylonian Empire, and their lives were set for life. I mean, they're at the top. From now on, it doesn't matter. They can just imagine a life lived that is carefree, with a great family and deeply uh, devoted people around them and fulfilled lives and doing great things for God and people. I mean, these guys were at the mountaintop of their life. The best point of their life. But then they chose to honor God and not to bend a knee or bow down to a statue that the king had And immediately they were sent on their way to death row to a fiery furnace. Now you have to understand, guys, all they had to do was bend their knee. 
In fact, the king kind of tells him, you know what, you don't even necessarily have to believe in the statue, but come on, you know, for my political kind of thing, just bend the knee. And they would be restored to power and position and everything else in their life. But if they didn't, the king was very clear that they would experience unimaginable pain and hurt. And yet, you know what? They chose not to bend the knee. Remember, there are thousands of people who are bowing to this statue and only three guys not choosing to bend the knee. Life or death kind of hung in the balance. And you know the weirdest thing is they chose death and to honor God rather than to choose life and bowing to something else. And it's just three ordinary people. Ordinary people with a great amount of devotion. Ordinary people like you and me. So in response to the king's demand to bend the knee, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said this in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I mean, their final words are just like Dmitry Kolesnikov. Mustn't despair, king. We're not in despair. Verse 19 then says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual. Now, they didn't have dials back then, all right? But basically, what the king did was, he got so ticked off, he got so angry, he got so furious, that he said, you guys make it as hot as it's ever been. I want it that hot. And Daniel's three friends are walking towards that. You ever burn yourself before? All of us probably could raise our hand. Some of the guys are looking there right now. I'm not going to show it. All right, one guy. Thanks, Shane. I appreciate that. Maybe you burnt yourself with a match, with a lighter. Maybe you, uh, you know, burnt yourself on a hot stove. A few years ago, I was teaching the baptism class that we just taught this past Thursday, and it's always taught in my home. And, um, you know, next week is baptism, so regardless where you're baptized or not, come and get free food and bring some food, Okay. But at 5 o'clock, we're going to have a big deal out at Prairie Creek. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to celebrate eight people getting baptized. But I was at this baptism class, and at the end of the class, what I do is I invite every single person to get one of these little sheets. And on it, it says, What sins must I confess to God before I can fully give my life to Jesus Christ? And then they write down their deepest, darkest secrets. And then they stand up and read them. No, no, they don't do that. Okay. Some of you are like, man, I ain't never getting baptized. No, no, no. Actually, it's just between them and God. No one else sees it. But they write them down and then they, everyone's very careful. Because I tell them, the deepest skeletons in your closet, write those down. And they get them, you know, and they don't want anyone to see them. And so they, they put it like this. I wouldn't want anyone to see it. 
And on this particular baptism class, we, t- we took them all to uh, my fireplace and we put them there. And I had one of those, you know, female lighters, one of those real long, no, I'm joking. All right, candle lighters. And I lit it up and uh, all of a sudden it started burning. And uh, pretty soon the whole room was in smoke and you could not see in front of you. And everyone's looking around. And all of a sudden, this is supposed to be this huge spiritual moment, you know? I think some of them thought the Holy Spirit was right there, you know? But it's supposed to be this huge spiritual moment, and people are starting to cough. You can't see in front of yourself. And I'm thinking, this is not good. And then all of a sudden, it hit me. There was one small problem. I forgot to open the flu. And smoke's everywhere. And then to make matters worse... The smoke detector goes off. Spiritual moment. It just keeps going, 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 going. Jennifer and I have burnt food. We have burnt pans. We have almost burnt down the house one time before. And the smoke detector never went off. And then in this one spiritual moment, it's going off. So I go to it, I climb up one step, and I lay hands on it, and then I rip it down in a spiritual way. And I get down from the ladder, and then I remember the flu. So I don't even think about it. I just go into the fireplace, put my hand up there, and I pull it, and guess what? I burnt myself. It wasn't a huge burn. It wasn't anything that these three guys experienced. But in that moment, I learned a great respect for fire. Now, fire can cause physical pain. But you need to know this, that deliberately to burn somebody up, to burn someone to death, historically, is one of the most inhumane forms of death, of execution, that there is. It involves treating a human body just like an object. Just like a stick of wood that you throw into a fire. And back in those days, the body was really important. And to just burn it up, it had great ramifications. Historically, it's always been reserved for people who are either witches or heretics or people that society wants to dispose of. And this is the type of death that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are getting ready to experience. They're getting ready to face And what's so strange, folks, all they had to do was just touch their knee. That was it. All they had to do was bend their knee and everything would be okay. They're getting ready to experience the cruelest, most painful, most inhumane deaths that there is ever experienced by humanity. But they refused and they honored God. Verse 20 says this, Nebuchadnezzar commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent 
and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So this is what's happening. They are so tight. They're tied with ropes all the way around them. They can't move. They can't get to the furnace, so they have these men pick them up and carry them. His soldiers, big, strong, burly Babylonian men. And they get close to the furnace, and it is so hot that they are burnt up themselves. They're killed. And these three guys are like on the edge of the furnace, just standing there, and they just kind of drop in. Now, these are details that the writer wants you to know. The writer wants you to understand that in King Nebuchadnezzar's rage and fury and anger, some of his own men are killed in the process, and he's careless about it. He could care less. But I want you, if you can, just for a moment, to imagine, as best as you can, what are the three guys going to the furnace thinking about? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, facing their final moments of life. They have been faithful to God to the very end. They chose not to bend a knee. And for making that choice, their life would end. They were hoping for another way out. Maybe there was a door, an avenue, but every single exit that they came to, it was closed. There was no hope for them Humanly speaking, these three ordinary guys are being drugged to their death. They can feel the heat and they just fall into the furnace and they're ready to experience their skin melting and to feel that tremendous pain from a burn that you've ever had and then a numbness because it melts so deep into your skin that you can't feel it anymore. And then the smoke would come and just kind of suffocate them to where they could not breathe. And it would get in their lungs and they would die. But the weirdest thing happens. They fall into the furnace and none of that takes place. They don't feel any different inside the furnace than they did when they were outside. There are no burns, no smoke. They're not even warm. They're not tied up anymore because the fire is so hot that it has already, you know, burned up the, the rope. They're walking into the furnace. And that's not even the best part. That's a miracle by itself, right? That all of a sudden these guys are walking in fire. But the writer wants you to know this just isn't a miracle, but this is a divine encounter. And verse 24 says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? There's one, two, three. Wasn't there three guys? And they replied, Certainly, O king, he said. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now the question becomes, who is the fourth man? Who is the fourth man that just kind of appears out of nowhere and he faces death 
and he cheats it, and he looks like he has the appearance of one of the sons of the gods. Well, the text doesn't tell us who that is, but I think and I believe that it was Jesus. And the reason is, is because Jesus is the only person who I know would do something like that. Would do something shocking, amazing, and have fun along the way. Hey guys, I'm here. And they're walking around in the furnace talking to each other. You want to talk about the best small group? I think that's it. I mean, they're tanning together, okay? But they ain't burning. And I just wonder, I wonder what they said to each other. First of all, I wonder what Jesus said to these three guys. And I have a feeling that He said to them, you know what, your Heavenly Father is so proud of you. You could have bent the knee. But you chose not to. You chose to be faithful. And God loves you so much and He cares for you and He's so glad that you chose to follow Him rather than to follow yourself or anybody else. And I wonder if He told Him, you know what, your reward in heaven is going to be great because you were that faithful. And I wonder if He told Him, you guys, you don't even know what's going on. You're just in shock right now. But you know what? Thousands and thousands and thousands of years from now, your story will continue to be told to all kinds of folks. And on one particular day in July, there'll be a church called The Jar. And people will listen to this story. And they'll go, man, that's faith. I also kind of wonder what these three guys said to Jesus. I bet they just immediately... You know, because there's just, just three of them, and then all of a sudden they see a fourth, and they're like, this has to be God. God's one and only Son. And they're worshiping and praising and adoring Him. I bet they shared gratitude in His presence, because now they're standing in the presence of the King of the kings and the Lord of lords, the one who would be worshipped for all eternity one day. I mean, it's kind of strange, don't you think, that they entered the furnace... Because they chose not to worship a false god. And yet, when they got in the middle of this furnace, they're worshiping the one true God. They're worshiping in a way that they had never worshipped God before. And they are in the presence of God's one Son. The furnace looked like the end of their lives. I mean, they're getting ready to fall in. And all of a sudden, it creates the best experience that they ever had. You see, it was in the furnace that they met God. And that's the central point to this whole story, is this. Sometimes God delivers people from the furnace, but sometimes He delivers people in the furnace. Sometimes He delivers people from the furnace, but sometimes He delivers people in the furnace. The furnace. Jesus said to these three guys what He says to people still today. I'll meet you in the furnace. Are you in a furnace situation right now? I'll meet you there. Because He's just a furnace type of guy. 
Jesus said, I'll meet you in the furnace. You follow me. It might look dark. It might look grim. It might look scary. You may not know what's going on, but I'll meet you there. You keep following me. You honor me. Give your full devotion to me, and I'll meet you in the furnace. And you want, folks, Jesus is still saying those words today. And for some of you, you're experiencing a furnace, and He wants to tell you that today. Verse 26 says this, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Man, I would have loved to have seen that, wouldn't you? These guys walking out. I mean, I bet they had their strut on then, you know what I mean? I know i got to work on mine. I'm not coming out of a fire, all right? I mean, I get amazed at those guys, you know, that walk on coals, barefooted. I'm like, whoa, that's, that's nothing. They're like coals, man. We were in coals, you know? And it says, so the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Folks, these guys are in a burning furnace. And Daniel wants you to know, not only are they not burned, there's not even a hair on their head that is singed. And he even gives the the detail that the robe is not scorched. Now, why do you think the writer does that? Because he's got a fashion statement that he wants to make? No! He wants you to know that God is providing for every single thing. They don't even smell like smoke when they come out. You get close to a fire and you smell like smoke. They they don't even smell like smoke. Verse 28 then says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. Now, who's the king? Tell me. Who's the king? The guy, Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. He just killed his own soldiers, and it doesn't even register with them. And then he congratulates Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for going, Hey, you know what? I'm so glad that you defied me. Boy, it was good. Your boss ever do that to you before? Then Nebuchadnezzar says this, Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. He's a little... uh, You know, he'd be good for HR, wouldn't he? Any HR office... Just let the king Nebuchadnezzar do it. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He doesn't just restore these three guys. He actually lifts them up to the highest places in the government. And he says, this is your influence. And I wonder what they did for the rest of their lives. Because you know what the reality is? We never hear about them again. 
the last place in Scripture that their story is told. We never hear about them again. You know, I was thinking this week, though, that I bet these three guys never forgot that day. Because I'll tell you something. When you've spent some time in the furnace, if you trust God to a point that it gets frightening and dangerous and scary, if you ever trust Him so much that you choose not to bend the knee, even though it costs you your job or relationships or whatever it is, but when you take that kind of stand... I have a feeling that that marks you for life. You go to your grave when God shows up in a furnace. And for these three guys, the furnace turned out to be the greatest event in their life. And ironically, whatever furnace that you are facing, you need to remember this, God is there with you. Today, every single person is in one of three places in this room. You're either going into the furnace, you're in the furnace right now, or you just walked out of the furnace. For some of you, your furnace involves a relationship. You've come to a crossroads in your life, and this relationship that you're in is scary. And you don't know what's going to happen, but you feel the heat. And you wonder if the relationship is even going to survive. And you're scared, and you're frightened, and it's dark. For others of you, your furnace is your finances. You've lost your job, or you're close to losing your job, or you've been looking for a job forever, and you're in the furnace. Or maybe you're in great debt over your head. And the creditors keep calling every single day and you're scared and you're frightened and it's dark. Or maybe for some of you, the furnace that you face is the fact that God is asking you to do something that is extremely difficult. Maybe it's to serve in some way that you're not sure of. Maybe it's to leave a job that has unethical things in it. Maybe it's to reach out to a neighbor or a coworker who you have had a difficult time connecting with. Maybe it's just to make things right in your family because you've been holding a grudge towards someone for decades. And you know what the right thing to do is. And every time you know that, you feel like you're in a furnace. And folks, in every situation, remember this. When you're in the furnace, God is there with you. You know, there's this horrible myth in the church that when people come closer to God, when they come closer to Jesus, that what they should realize is that God's number one goal is to allow your life to be problem-free. Folks, the reality is, all of life is a series of problems. And once you solve one problem, guess what? There's another one to step into its place. The Bible says this, 
Don't be bewildered or surprised when you go through the fiery trials ahead. For this is no strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. Friends, God takes problems and furnaces, and you know what His purpose in allowing us to go through those is? It's to draw us closer to Him. The Bible says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. You know, God's greatest goal for your life is not for you to not have any problems or to be problem-free. His greatest goal for every single person in this place and in the whole world is this, for you to trust Him and depend upon Him more than you trust or depend upon yourself. That's his goal. The Bible says this, We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us. You see, sometimes God delivers you from the furnace, but He does His best work when He delivers you in the furnace. The human being who was half human, who experienced the most difficult furnace ever, was Jesus Christ Himself. His furnace was the cross. Because it was on the cross in which every single sin that the world had ever committed fell upon His shoulders and He felt it and He experienced it and He took every single thing on. And it was in that furnace moment that He experienced God forsaking Him for three days. His heavenly Father turning His back from His Son because of that sin. But what Jesus knew also was that even in His furnace, God was still there. You know, today we come to share communion. And what I want you to experience is a moment with the fourth man in the furnace. A moment with Jesus. God's one And only Son. And I don't know what your furnace is, but whatever it is, Jesus wants to meet you there. And you can just take a moment by yourself and you can thank the fourth man in the furnace for forgiving you, for loving you, for caring for all of your needs. And then confess to Him anything that you're not depending Him fully upon. And while we're doing that, Pastor Isaac and the band's going to lead us in a song called Carried to the Table. And it's a powerful song because this is what I've been learning in my life, what God's been teaching me. Sometimes, when you're in the furnace, folks, you you continue to have those ropes wrapped around you. 
And you need the fourth man in the furnace to come and kind of say, you don't need those. And for him to then physically carry you to the table of his love and his grace. And so take a couple of minutes with him, and then I'm going to invite you to go to one of the tables. And if you know the fourth man in the furnace, or you're ready to give your life to him, that you would take a piece of bread, you dip it in. And you would eat it. And you'd be reminded in that moment that whatever the furnace is that I'm facing, that God is there with me. So let's just take a few moments for you to meet with the fourth man in the furnace and know that he is there with you.
swept away by his love and I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord as carried to the table
sometimes carries us to a furnace. That you meet us there and you carry us out. And you seat us at a table and you remind us that we're your son, we're your daughter, that you're proud of us, that you love us. That there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. There's nothing we can do to make you love us less. You are so in love with us, God. And we're so grateful that you carry us when we can't carry ourselves. Holy Spirit, would you carry us through this week to not bend a knee, but to follow you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you like prayer for anything, come on up.